Welcome to Trauma Queen, where we normalize talking about some pretty hard shit. I'm Jiminika Eborn, your certified trauma queen. I've been working with survivors of assault for over a decade. This season, we will be talking about sexual education. We will discuss how we deal with stressors that come up around our work, societal, personal traumas, and growth. What we've learned and how we have to navigate through our daily lives. And like always, the focus will be on our journey to healing and finding support. In each episode, I'll give three new resources directly related to the topics we cover. For years, I've seen survivors portrayed without their voices ever being really heard. This changes now. Let's heal together. Hey y'all, this is a quick content warning to let you know that we may be discussing some pretty hard things, or we may even bring up some pretty intense emotions. If this is affecting you, take a breath, take a walk, skip an episode, It's okay. Do whatever you need to do for you. We will be here whenever you're ready to come back. Support for this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, BetterHelp, and people just like you. If you'd like to contribute to supporting this work, you can do so by clicking the link in the podcast description. You can donate as little as 99 cents per month to keep us going strong. Every penny you send goes right back into making this resource accessible to the people who need it most. And if you want to show off your love for the show, check out our merch on www.traumaqueen.love. That's www.traumaqueen.love. All right, y'all. I'm so excited to have this individual on the show. I've actually done their... their what is it called? It's not a podcast. Like uh, my interview series. Interview series. It's an interview series. Lovely. So I'm super excited to have this individual here. I think it'll be a different perspective that we haven't heard. And uh, yeah, can you tell us your name and your pronouns? Yeah, my name is Kevin Patterson. He, him, his pronouns. Yeah, fabulous. So let's just jump in. Let's just get this party started. It's going to be a ride. So I hope you brought a seatbelt. Uh oh. <laughs> so why do you think that your story and our perspective needs to be heard? Um, well, it's not just my perspective. Um, I it's I use my perspective as the focus, but I speak a lot about the way race impacts polyamory mm-hmm. and we don't get a lot of perspective in terms of polyamory representation in terms of polyamory that's outside of like cisgender heterosexual white men, cisgender uh, bisexual white women in um, close triads, like well-to-do, well-educated, traditionally attractive people. Like we get a very narrow representation of of, uh, polyamory. So I speak a lot about what's outside of that representation. And of course I use my own perspective as the focus, but like I try to give platform and license for other people to speak about their own identities within polyamory. Yeah. And there's so much, this is why we have this show. Like there's so much healing and support within a story. Yeah. That's dope. Absolutely. I'm such a fan. So what do you think, or like, how do you feel? What does it mean to be a sex educator to you? Um, I never call myself a sex educator, like first and foremost. Yeah, tell me um, about it. Yeah, I, I always feel, I mean, and like, I, I understand that there's a lot of gatekeeping within sex ed circles mm-hmm. about like who has degrees and who who doesn't. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like I'm not speaking specifically to like sex. I'm speaking towards, um, I'm speaking towards social justice in terms of 
uh, relationship styles, um, alternative relationship communities. And while that probably falls under sex ed, my imposter syndrome prevents me from taking a place at that table. Mm. So, and also I'm, I'm very good at being uncomfortable. I feel a lot better being on the outside of things, speaking up rather than feeling like I'm part of a community speaking up, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. So what would you call yourself then? If, Cause you know, people love titles. Um, I, I struggled with calling myself a blogger since um, my interview series doesn't, doesn't create a whole lot of new content that I generate. So I call myself the curator of polyamory, of uh, poly role models. I was like, I, you created all of polyamory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I call myself the cur- the curator okay. because I, you know, I, I manage some works of self-expression and that's about it. Okay. I mean, and I'm a fan of that. Like oh, instead of just being like, this is it because I feel like people and we've talked about this with other individuals this week is people just jump in and they're just like, I'm a sex educator. And you're like, but since when, like, why, what does that mean? Yeah. And I see people doing that with sex ed. I see people doing that with sex work and you know, people who are gatekeeping the term sex work or people who are imposters to it, jumping in and, and claiming titles that they haven't earned. I'd rather just call myself a curator and explain what curator curator means mm-hmm. and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote two books last year and I still struggle with calling myself an author, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like your imposter syndrome is real cute, real present, real loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather I'd rather play the game as if I'm struggling to get on the field as opposed to like feeling like I've got a place in the Hall of Fame and can just rest Mm. for you. For those of you that don't know, Kevin, Kevin loves analogies. I do. (laughs) I was like, oh, you are starting early with them. I was so worried when I when it came time to go to grad school, I so didn't want to take any entrance exams. And then I saw the Miller's analogies test and I'm like, oh, this is my game. And I. I ended up like 97th percentile in taking the Miller's analogies test, you know? <laughs> I love it. You're adorable. Um, when did you, when did you start or start to realize how important not only sex ed was, but also talking about the way that you talk about polyamory? I mean, everything that I do is uh, just sort of based on my own personal opinions or, or not personal opinions. Well, yeah, that too, but, my personal experiences. Mm-hmm. And once I started talking about my personal experiences and other people started nodding along, I realized that I was doing something that was of value. Um, when, when I joined the, the, I'm in the Philadelphia area. When I joined the local polyamory community, I was for about two years, the, one of the only, one of the very few people of color who would show up to things. And like consistently, like the very first uh, event that I went to in my local community, I got hit with a racist microaggression less than 10 minutes in. Seems about right. And there were seven people of color who were at that event. And I think four of them. Yeah, four of those four of those seven never came back to another community event, as far as I know. And one of the three who did go back didn't go back until I started hosting events myself. Mm. And the other was my wife, you know? I love her. I yeah, so do I. Strangely enough, so I do love my You're wife. You're so welcome. 
so yeah the, like once i started talking about talking about like my experience feeling like i was like the token black guy in, mm-hmm. the, in this community or waiting for like the one other dude who's also a black guy who went to an hbcu also named kevin <laughs> uh, oh yes yeah, the two like, kevins yeah like i'd be sitting at the window at these events like staring like hoping that the next person that walked by was was kevin you know and <laughs> oh, that no. was me for so long that once I started talking about it and other people of color are like, yeah, that's how, that's how I'm feeling in Chicago or that's how I'm feeling in Seattle or that's how I'm feeling in New York of all places. I, I realized like, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. Somebody should be talking about this. And I started talking and people started listening. Yeah. I mean, and you've brought up so many good points and it just leads me to this next more direct question. Like what does it mean to be a black man as an educator, because I'm going to call you an educator, because, and I will tell you why. Yes, I think you curate things, but also like the information that you have is educating people. The books that you've written are like literally educating people and like helping them to restructure their own lives. So I'll call you an educator. You don't have to pick up that package, but I'm going to drop it off at the door. Fine. If you feel like you know my identity more than I do. <laughs> I mean, realistically, though, I do have a I do have a master's degree in education, so exactly, yeah, fucking play with Um, me. (laughs) But like, I um, my like being being a black guy in these spaces means that like, when I go into a space, I know that I might get marginalized, I might get fetishized, um, I might get fetishized in a space. People might like the conversation might not be around me where. I might go to a happy hour with 10, 15, 20 people, and the only thing we have in common is polyamory. And people are having conversations that are like, that have nothing to do with me or my cultural experience. And that there's a feeling towards that. Mm -hmm. And then also, I know that like, if I bring that up in certain spaces, if I run afoul of the the wrong community organizer, I might get uh, disinvited from things. Yeah. Where that was always a really difficult thing where I couldn't bring up. Like, oh, I mean, I I would bring up, but I'd always have to be really tactful in bringing up like, but where are the other black people? But where are the other people of color? I had to be really tactful about that, because if I didn't, then all of a sudden I might I might get denied access to a space. So like it's all it was always a matter of like playing these metrics, doing all this math in my head about like, how much do I say what I want to say? Mm while keeping it tactful enough Mm -hmm. that I don't get tossed out of here. Mm -hmm. And there was a, there was a lot, you got to play, you got to, you got to play the odds in a lot of interactions. And that was something that like my white friends in these same communities, they didn't have to do those things. Like they they couldn't replicate those stories. Yeah. It's like, you're constantly on guard. Like, do you think that that takes away from like actually being in the experiences? I'll say it like this. It takes away from being into the experience for enough people that they never come back. I, I play the, all right. So I'll say it like this. If I could replace every interaction I have with a white person, with a black person, maybe I would, but because I can't do that, I have to measure out what level of trauma am I prepared to deal with Mm. to do the things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so there are some people who, who decide the trade-off isn't worth it and they leave polyamory communities or they leave events or they leave uh, conferences or so on. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wired in a way that I don't take a lot of things personally. I don't, you know, I don't hold a lot of grudges. I don't 
carry a lot of other people's weight. Mm -hmm. So I feel comfortable enough being in these spaces, even though I know that some shit's going to go down, Mm -hmm. even though I know someone might say something to me that I'm going to be spending the next week thinking about, you know, I'm willing to do that. But at the same time, I'm also going to not be quiet about it so mm-hmm. that like I give license to other people to to say what they want to say or for other communities to rise up in place of one that's problematic or so on. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like there's so many different perspectives that I feel like people don't think about. Like people just think sex educators or curators um, are just living their best lives all the time. Like we just party in every day. But that literally is not what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, and like, and I know some people who, who really revel in that, like there are, there are people of color who will go to white spaces and revel in the fact that they're in white spaces. You know, there are people Mm -hmm. who go to, uh, they'll go to these spaces and think, well, it's not, it's not as diverse as I want, but it's fine. Yeah. I, I don't do that. Like I'm going to go and I'm going to point it out. I'm going to go and get loud at point, point at something and get loud is basically my own, my go-to move, you know, whether it's good or it's bad. It's like, Hey, look at this great thing. Let's support it. Or, Hey, look at this shitty thing. Yeah. Let's, t- let's burn it to the fucking ground. Well, shit. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. Do you, I know you and your, your better half, um, because I'm just obsessed with her. Um, and your, your parents, Every, everybody sort of, everybody sort of is. I mean, like, like real it? talk, my wife, my wife's incredible. Dope. And, and doctor? I never said it. Yeah. Dr. Patterson. I mean, Even if I never said it. Dr. People, P. <laughs> people stop me on the street to tell me how awesome my wife is. <laughs> and, then when, and then when I tell her, she does not believe me. So you I'm know, saying it. Make sure she listens world. to this episode and be like, actually, we just talked about you. So go ahead and listen to Jim just talk about how great you are. She's going to think I doctored your voice and that <laughs> you didn't say it at all. I'll text her. It's Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> do you find like being a parent in these spaces, like being polyamorous and like teaching or curating these conversations, do you think there's like been a struggle with that or is it like a bonus? I think, all right, so there's, it's, it hasn't really been a struggle for me, but there's a privilege to the fact that I have small kids mm-hmm. where my wife and I, uh, we entered polyamory before we started having kids years before we started having kids. We didn't get it right until like after they were, you know, we didn't like get it what we feel is right until after they were born. Mm-hmm. But this has been their norm. You know, they right. know that mom, they know that mom and dad have people that come around. They can pick up without us having to tell that there's a, a level of familiarity there, that there's a friend and there's a friend and they can pick up on that without us having to say, um, we're, we're open and honest with them about what our situations are. Okay. So, but if, if we had say teenage kids, when we decided to, to, to jump into polyamory, I don't know if that would work out as well. You know, mm-hmm. there might be a paradigm shift that our kids wouldn't be prepared to deal with, mm. you know, but it, but, it gives me room to like speak from like a developmental standpoint where I can talk about, I can talk about how I talk to my kids about polyamory or how I talk to them about sex positivity in general, you know? Yeah. Like my, my oldest daughter is eight and I just bought her some age appropriate sex ed books. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't get sex ed until junior high and and I was was cute. (laughs) Yeah. And it was, it was terrible. It was terrible sex ed. And I was just old enough to know that when I heard the word tit, I should laugh. And that was about it. <laughs> oh, okay. You're like, this is a funny word. I know it is. Yeah. 
So we're going to talk about some not as fun things. I mean, I think it's fun. And then we'll come back to more fun things. So what do you see as being a problem or what are the problems within sex ed right now? The problems that I, the problems that I've that I've seen is that uh, uh, um, getting identity stuff together gets really difficult. It gets really difficult because people don't look at like say callouts or call-ins as opportunities to grow. Mm. They look at them as 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 ways to get defensive. Okay. And can you explain that like, a little bit? Okay, so like. Let's say I do something shitty and I've done I've done shitty things before. I've said shitty things. I've I've been shitty to people that I shouldn't have. Um like there there are times where I've done it maliciously. I mean not a lot. Like I'm that's not really how I roll, but there are there are times where I've done it unintentionally and someone said, "Hey Kev, that thing that you said, that thing that you did, that's not okay." If I get upset and say, "No, it's fine. What I did was fine." nobody's hurt by this what i really meant to say was and then like double down on what i was trying what i had just said you get ostracized really quickly and really easily whereas if i'm like okay i understand maybe i didn't mean it that way but now that i understand how you reacted to this let's have a conversation about it let's see what i let's let's see if i can learn something from this so that i don't hurt people the way i just hurt you I've gotten call-outs like that enough times that I've learned from them and nobody's thrown me out of anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, um, like, a conference... There was a conference in, um, what was it, uh, like, in, in Ohio back in, like, I think December. And I don't remember... I don't know all the details because I wasn't there, but, like, enough people came and told me about it afterwards where some... Uh, um, a, a white man... A white man said some shitty things... And the other people in the room tried to explain, like, hey, what you just said was shitty, Mm -hmm. and here's why. And this guy goes to his Facebook feed to, you know, to explode about how he he feels attacked. (laughs) Oh, no. It's like, okay, like, you feel attacked because you said something shitty. And they held you accountable. Yeah, exactly. I was at a conference just uh, just here in Philadelphia back in February, and someone threw out out the N-word, like a white dude. Well, sir. Yeah, he's walking, and he was trying to explain something, and he uses the N word in his explanation. And somebody was just like, "Hey, can you fucking not do that?" And dude, dude, like doubles down on it, and then catches up to the black woman who was hurt the most by this to explain it while further using the word. Ah, uh, the audacity! Like, bro, like, can you just not do that? Mm. You know, I want to be surprised, but like, I'm not. Like it's yeah. just it's interesting. Something else that uh something else that I that I see um and again I'm I'm an outsider looking in but like uh when people when people have their fuck ups especially now like we we are in the Me Too era like 100 percent when people have when people have their fuck ups um it's really easy to cancel somebody to set them on fire and leave them behind mm-hmm. but. There's there that that sort of thing isn't really delivered with a lot of nuance, which is which is really interesting. Like we want people to to learn and know better and do better, but in a lot of cases we don't give people the room to do that. Like there are folks who do shitty things and then they, like they refuse to be held accountable for them, and it's like, all right, well, you know, sorry, you got to go. 
but there are people who are like, shit, I screwed up. How can I make this right? And mm-hmm. no one gives them the room to make it right. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, and it's hard to even have conversations about that because when you have a conversation about that, uh, it's really easy to say, well, if you give this person room to, to right their wrong, you're, you're, you're excusing the wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, and real talk, I'm actually in the middle of a situation like that myself. If, if that's even, if there's even room to speak about that. You, you know what? I, I'm just here. You can speak about whatever your heart desires or not speak uh, about. It's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, without getting into like every detail, cause some of it's not really mine to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got an ex who was going through, going through some shit and she sort of turned on all of her people and in turning, in turning on me, as she turned on all of her people, all of her friends became shitty. All of her roommates and partners became shitty. All the people in her life became shitty. Like, and you know, and it was like lying to me about, about the, them and lying to them about me. And it was, it was a whole extra bit of extra. And if anybody knows me, when I fuck shit up and I do, I'd make it right. Like I, 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 you know, I apologize. I work through it. I try to process it. I try to, I try to make wrong things right. There are people who don't know me who have heard my ex say, yo, Kevin's shitty. And now they would rather throw me in the trash than engage or give me the room to make whatever supposed, whatever supposedly wrong, giving me room to make that right. Mm-hmm. No. Whatever I've, whatever I've done, let's not tell Kevin what he's, what he's accused of. Let's not, you know, let's just, let's just cancel. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, well, shit, you know, even if I, even if I've done all of the wrong, like I would rather learn about it, get it right and make it better. You know, like me telling stories about how much I fucked up is a thing that I've done. And like my fuck ups aren't as bad as most people's fuck ups. My fuck ups aren't as prevalent. I don't make the same mistakes twice, but whatever it is, I want to write that wrong. So we, we've got this sort of culture of like, it's black and white. And we can't really operate that way because everybody's everybody's a villain in somebody's story. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's had a mistake. Nobody's mistake free. No. And if we don't if we don't at least offer a path to make right to make wrong shit right, we're not going to have anybody left. Like even the even the people who I've heard have completely canceled me, they've got their stories, too. And I've heard every single one of them, you know, mm-hmm. but we give but we don't really give people room to like to learn and grow and do better. We're recording this season during the month of April, which is also Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I wanted to do something special for survivors this year. And upon speaking with Candace, one of the co-creators of the Kink Kit, I was really moved by the way that they allow people to connect with different levels of their sexuality. I curated every single thing in this kit. We really wanted to create a healing experience and I couldn't have asked for a better partnership. This box was created to support survivors and their partners to find other ways to connect. This box will allow you and your partner to develop mindfulness connection around your sexual partnership, creating pleasure-positive rituals and loving communication strategies, all while having fun. There's a lot of shame around survivors having pleasure. Let's change that narrative today. You can get details on the kit, the games included, and the techniques you'll pick up, and more by visiting thekinkkit.com backslash queen. That's T-H-E-K-I-N-K 
K-I-T dot C-O-M backslash Q-U-E-E-N. Do you think there's specific types of individuals that people are like? Because I know there's been a lot of fuck ups in sex ed. I like to stay on the outside unless it, you know, directly involves me or something I really care about. Because I'm like, I most of the time I don't know these people. And people yeah. be like, you know someone. So and I'd be like, I don't. Be like, Jim. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't care. And people yeah. get mad about that. But I've also seen a lot of people that have fucked up and then they just go away for like six months. But they don't really go away. They're just a little quieter and they keep working. And then they pop yeah. back and they're like, oh, so anyway. And people are like, wait, what? What the fuck? Yeah. That's an interesting thing versus do you think it's certain people that are allowed to do that within this community? Um, I think there are certain people who are allowed to do that in, in this community. Um, that's a little bit harder for me to speak on because mm-hmm. I don't always know who's doing what and yeah. when. Um, and like just for an example, like um, so uh, Philadelphia had a really well-known couple of um, missing stairs. Um, do I need to, do I need to explain missing stare? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, so the idea is that if I've got a missing stare in my house and I know that I'm not going to be hurt by this missing stare, I know that I can just sort of jump over it. No problem. Okay. But if you're new to my house and I don't warn you about it, you might trip over it and hurt yourself. Or if I mean to warn you about it, but I'm in the bathroom, I'm in the kitchen and you go up the stairs and you fall over, you know, rather than fixing the stair you're trying to warn people around that. Mm, okay. And it ends up being a, an analogy for, for abusers in these communities where instead of getting these people out of the communities, you're just like, Oh, well just make sure you don't find yourself alone with that guy. Ugh. You know, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Quite, you know, but like Philadelphia, when I entered the community had a, had a couple of really well-known missing stairs. And when I started poly role models, I thought, I know who those guys are. I know to keep them out of poly role models because they were popular enough and charismatic enough that someone might nominate them for the blog. I know to keep them out. But what if this was a place that I don't live and don't know the missing stairs? So I put out a call to some local, uh, to some, um, to like the uh, poly leadership network, which is like a, a, a worldwide network of people who are running organizational things. And I said, like, can I run some names past you so that you can tell me who's who? And I got the name of somebody in the Pacific Northwest who was supposedly an abuser. And, and I don't want to say suppose, and I'm saying supposedly not because I doubt anything of this story, just because this was, you know, because I don't know anything. And so I'm just hedging. But this person who's supposed to be an abuser, I got a name. And when I, and when they eventually got nominated for my blog, like two or three different times, I would say, hey, thanks for nominating, but also this is what I heard about this person. I can't put them in the blog. And they would say, well, yeah, that stuff's true, but this is the work they did to fix that. And then when I spoke to the person who told me about them, they're like, no, they didn't do any of that work. So I don't really know how much work this person did or didn't do to fix things. You know? So when someone disappears for six months and, you know, they're quiet for six months and then they pop back up. I don't know if they if they if there was any accountability. Mm-hmm. I can't really, you know, I don't know whether they fixed it. I don't know whether they're talking about the same shit that they had a problem with before and presenting themselves as an expert and something that they are really problematic about, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot harder for me to speak on. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you have you found or do you think there's any type of like 
a connection between like the work that you do, the you know, sex ed, the work that we do, and therapy? I all right, so I I I don't have a great I don't have a great history with therapy. Like I've I, I've gone to therapy a few times and I've never really felt like I got much out of it. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is that in learning about sex and sex ed and uh, learning about consent and being better around the people that I'm around. Like I'm, I'm 40 years old and I'm such a better person around people than I was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. My mental state is a lot better now than it was 10, 20 years ago because of that. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me that there's a way to work sex ed into therapy, all I know is that both of them increase wellness in a way. And I, and I, I, I refuse to believe that those two can't or shouldn't be entwined in some way. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. One, because uh, my background is just mental health (laughs) and then transitioning over. I was like, oh, this is an easy switch. (laughs) Add a few more words and (laughs) talk about a little bit of lubes and things. Um, So you kind of talked about like your wellness and what have you found any other healing while doing the work that you do? I, I find it, I find it in community, like what I get a lot of, what I get a lot of value out of. And like, I don't mean so much like local community, just like in the creation of like, I, I date a lot. I date so much. Like, like, I don't know who you're dating, but I'm dating someone that I'm dating myself. I'm okay. Well, I'm, I was going to say I'm, I'm dating one of your partners or I'm dating someone who's dating one of your partners because that's how much I'm dating. And we're on the other side of the country. That's just how it works. Um, I don't make the rules, mm. but, um, I, I lost the question somewhere in there. The, where we are on the healing, we're on the healing, the healing, with, where, the heal. we're on the healing. Like, have you found healing? Um, boy. And then you got to dating and there was a where connection. The hell, where the hell was I even going? I mean, it's, you know, it's what happens when we let you go rogue. Yeah. I hope this is getting edited out. That's cute. That's cute. <laughs> Oh, wait, yeah, we'll cut. What? We'll cut your befuddlement out. You're throwing. You're throwing us off, Kev. Okay. Um, <laughs> we were talking about like we transition and ask like, have you found any healing within the work that you do? And you said yes. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, I do a lot of dating, and yes. because of because I go to like so many different places to speak to speak about uh, the books that I've written to speak about uh, race and educate uh, race and polyamory, uh, sex ed and or, uh, masculinity and polyamory and so on. Mm-hmm. I end up being able to sort of help and create community in uh, in in way in in a certain way, and I find a lot of healing in that. I it's something that I really get a lot of value out of. Like um, I once had held a leadership position in my local community, and somebody said, "Well, I wish we had a way to you know communicate better." And I was able to say, "Well, I know somebody who does a workshop on that. Let me talk to them mm-hmm. and let me get them." involved in our community yeah. yeah they live in seattle but i'm going to get them in, in, involved with philadelphia and i'm going to make sure they get some money out of it or somebody says like you know i wish there was like a better class on sex ed or, or on on consent and restorative justice and i'd be like oh i know somebody mm-hmm. i know somebody out in dallas let me make sure they get paid and they come in they come to philadelphia and do you know and like um like uh co-creation has a book coming out or sorry co-creation has a book that just came out called this heart this heart holds many and it's about them being uh, them growing, oh, growing up, in a up in it. Mm-hmm. yeah in a polyamorous household and so i was able to like help 
touch some bases in terms of them coming out to Philadelphia. And there's going to be a, a larger contingent at the book signing, you know, because I'm going to make sure people go. I'm going to like say like, hey, this is a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Come on out. And I like making those connections. I like putting people in the same room together. I like um, I like low-key taking credit and patting myself <laughs> on the back after the fact, mm-hmm. you know, not in any meaningful <laughs> way. Like, I'm not going to go and say, well, f- oh, I started this thing. Like, no, I didn't <laughs> start me. it. But like, but I'll pat myself on the back and say like, hey, I, there was a, there was a spark there that I helped, you know? Yeah. So it's something that I get a lot of healing out of. Yeah. I, I get to surround myself with some really amazing people, have awesome conversations, have incredible sex. Like it's, yeah, it's been good. Kinda... It's been good. That's dope. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate like your aspect and your perspective of the healing within like the work that you do. Um, in the not healing aspect, have you ever had to struggle financially because you chose to do this work? Um, Versus like another job. Yeah, I have an yeah. I I work uh I work in um I work in uh, technical writing Mm -hmm. and instructional design. So that's that's my day job. That's my mogul job, and that's that's what pays the bills. That's what put that's what puts uh, clothing on my kids' backs. But those jobs are often contract jobs. So what that ends up meaning is. I might be I might be only working for three to six months, you know, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, in between time, having some books that I've been selling, that helps, you yeah. know, like having a, having a Patreon connected to a poly role models. I wasn't even making a lot of money out of my Patreon, not much at all, really, maybe like a hundred to two hundred dollars a month out of my Patreon. But if you're not working, not that's money that puts gas in your car, yeah, and puts some food in your, and food in your mouth. And, and, and we're good for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit? I know we talked about this kind of in the beginning, but tell me why you decided to really create poly role models. Um, I just wanted to, I wanted to see better. Rep, I wanted to see better representation point blank. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's like there's other stuff sort of wrapped into it. But when I heard the when I heard the words poly role models, which is something um an organizer for a local community, a local meetup that I used to go to like every month. Mm-hmm. Um, I was explaining how me and my wife had screwed something up and how we had fixed it and made it and made it right. And she said, wow, you've been doing this for like 12, 13 years. It's like your poly role models. And you were like, once oh. I heard that, what's that? <laughs> you were like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I spent like the 20 minute, 30 minute ride home was just me talking about, Oh wow. That sounds like a, an idea. I can mm-hmm. make it like humans of New York for poly, you know, for, for polyamorous folks. And once I had that idea, I was like, but I want to make sure that it looks like polyamory can look. I want to make sure that there's lots of like strong women in there. I want to make sure that there's lots of uh, people of color, lots of queer folks, lots of trans folks, lots of people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give them room to talk about those things and how, you know, how those things impact their polyamory. Like, are you fat and polyamorous? Are you Christian? Are you nudist? Are you sober and polyamorous? How does poly uh, how does polyamory affect those things and how do those things affect polyamory? Let's talk about it. Yeah. And more often than not, I still get messages all the time to people saying like, I didn't think polyamory was for someone like me, but then I saw someone like me in poly mm. role models and now I'm doing my thing, you know? That's beautiful. I love that. I love also the fact of like the reminding people that we're just regular ass people like normalizing yes. it because yeah. we're so demean like when people are like you're polyamorous ugh, you're like i'm sorry what now you mean yeah. you don't want we don't lie about the things that we do and we actually have 
a lot of conversations. Like I have more conversations than fucking like yeah. people just think yeah. every hour I'm like out here with someone else. Unaccurate. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to brag. It's not a humble brag because there's nothing humble about it. Um, I spent about your dating. Yes. Oh, I yesterday. Spent, yes. Let's talk about this. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I spent yeah, like, um, so a couple of months ago, um, a partner of mine wanted to have uh, birthday bruises. She wanted to get she wanted to get roughed up, like impact Wait play, consensual kink. It's gonna get crazy from a number of people for her birthday. And at some point, me and another partner of mine, we were joking around. We both had our hands inside the birthday girl, and I said, "We should just do this. Like we should just drive around, putting our hands in people all day long." And like all of my best ideas, it was a joke that someone <laughs> else took seriously. <laughs> Like, like, like my polyamory, it was a joke that someone else took seriously. You're such a mess. And, and so yesterday we spent the day driving around the local Philadelphia area. We made, I think, seven total stops for 15 total participants delivering dual wheeled tag team hand jobs. And over 200 uh, orgasms were achieved. What a blessing. Look, that is a service. People are like, wait, wait, where do I sign up for this? You just come to my town, like. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, I mean, I'm, I granted, I'm, I'm sore as hell. I'm ready for Game of Thrones, and I'm gonna be sore watching some Game of Thrones. But it was, it was a whole day of us just driving around, putting our hands on and in people, and it was amazing. You know what a life you live. Every once in a while, yeah. <laughs> but like, for for everyone, for every sort of situation like that that I have. Mm-hmm. polyamory gives me other situations like th- like this doesn't exist in a vacuum like polyamory might mean that i date and love and have sex with two or three or four different people over the course of a week but it also it means i might get canceled on two or three or four different times <laughs> i might have two or three or four different um mental health crises from different people that i've got to help you know that i've got to help support through you know like my my partner with anxiety might call up and say I'm having a I'm having an attack. Can we talk about it? You know, my my partner with BPD might call up and say, "Hey, this is what's going on with my life and my meds and my therapy. Can we talk about it?" Like, yeah, sex is awesome, but also I've got to be loving and supportive and there and available for a lot for all these people that I'm dating. You know, I can't just be there for the dick. Like, yeah, <laughs> like like if you want if you want dick, dick I bonus. got you, but also I've got to be I've got to be a, a, a loving partner at the same time. Yeah. Woo! We've talked about so many things, and I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for the world to be like, I'm sorry, you traveled and did what? Uh, <laughs> can you give, like, two things for someone that wants to enter into this sex-positive world that we have? Like, two things, like, just like, here's what I would have done, and then two things of how you have survived. Um, two things that I would have done. Or like to be like, oh, um, you're coming in. Think about these things before you really put both feet down. I would uh, I would say like figure out figure out intersectionality, like figure out identities before you walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I love the resource that I created in poly role models. I love it. I really do. And I'm glad that it's had its impact. But I've seen other people show up with other projects that look similar to poly role models without trying to figure out like the inclusivity the inclusive aspect of poly role models mm-hmm. like poly role models is the most inclusive showcase of polyamory anywhere correct period and i and that's a low bar that i had to hurdle like I, it wasn't like i had to work extra hard to do that 
It was just, there was nothing else inclusive. And now I've got this thing. So there are other people who try to do the same thing, which I'm okay with, but also like if you're doing it and you're still just showcasing triads, white, you know, white cis het triads, then, then why, you know, we've already got that representation. We've already seen that movie, quote unquote, Jordan Peele. A mess. Um, what else? What else? How have hmm. you survived? How's your sanity? Um, well, like having having a having a, a what's it called? Having a, a, su- a support system around you, mm-hmm. having good people around you. You know, like not just people that not just people that that uh, that give you that give you yeses and support, but people who will call you on your shit. People who will who will prop you up when you're wrong, but also like nudge you over when you're when you're when you're too full of yourself. Yeah. Um, like real talk. Um, Rebecca Hiles, the Frisky Fairy adorable yeah she 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 saw me talking about polyamory all the time and said hey you should be doing workshops and speaking at conferences and i'm like "Eh, i don't know and then i came up with an idea and i showed it to her and she flat out said you're better than this this is like this is generic you're better than this she was like round one great yeah and like it it hurt but at the same time it, it pushed me to create a better workshop which I spent all of last year doing all over the country. And I wrote a whole ass book about, See? you know, so like having support and same thing with uh, the other book, the other book that I've got for hire mm-hmm. is, um, is a queer polyamorous superhero story. And when I wrote the first draft and I showed it to, uh, showed it to my friend, uh, she was just like, okay, but let me know when you're done with it. You know, <laughs> And she had she had enough ideas to make it a better draft that I brought her on as a co-writer. And so For Hire Operator, the first book in the For Hire universe, is a much better book than I could have written by myself. It's a it's a book that I actually enjoy, yeah. which is weird because I don't really like a lot of the stuff I create. A damn imposter syndrome. It just loves you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, like, um, also learn to not take things too personally. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's everybody's got an agenda everybody's got uh everybody's got an agenda everybody's you know pushing for something i don't and like i know that's easy to say but like i don't take things too personally um that whole situation that i that i that, that i brought up my my whole situation where mm-hmm. people are, are willing to cancel me mm-hmm. um some of the people some of the folks who push that along who have like da- done damage to the work that i do are educators that you and I both know, educators that you and I both like and respect, you know? And if I wanted to, I could get really salty at them and like wage war and, you know, and throw shade. But nah, they're doing what they feel like they need to do with that, with the information that they have. It's limited information, but they don't know that. So I'm not going to take it too personally. I'm not going to hold any grudges. I, you know, I am, that's just not how I'm, I'm not wired to do that. And if you can, find it in yourself to put stuff past you and not like take, take things too personally. It makes things easier. We work so much better together than we do when we're sniping at each other. There, there can be like a real high school clickish people sniping at each other sort of thing yeah. that pops up in, in sex ed. And it's probably just the way the world works, Yeah, but we, we work better just in general, like there are people who I, who I showcase on poly role models. There are people who I broadcast on my Facebook page who I know full well behind my back, they say a lot of a, a lot of wild stuff about me, but their work's important. 
and my ego not so much. So I'm going to make sure that people have access to their work. If I can, if, if I have it within my ability, I'm going to make sure that they have access to the, you know, that people have access to this good work, whether or not like I'm going to be partying with the, the person who creates that work on the weekends or not. That's beautiful. Well, this has been dope. I feel like you've given us so much information and just like blessed us with this different voice that I don't have on this show. Like, yes, my show is focused on marginalized individuals. I don't have a lot of men on my show, though. When I when I really when I really look I, back on it. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I, I, I noticed, but I figured that's what you were going for. I mean, listen, it's the way the world works sometimes where I'm like, who's who needs to be heard today? You know, yeah. and today you need to be heard. So I appreciate that. So since you've blessed us, how can we bless you? Tell us how we can throw coins at you, where we can find you. Tell us your business. All right. Well, I'm I'm probably role models on everything. But like um, because because of my whole situation, I'm actually backing away from that uh, a lot. Like I'm not doing I'm not doing the interview series as much. Um, if you want to support the work that I do, I've got two books out. Yeah. Uh, Lo- Love's not colorblind. Race and representation in polyamorous and other alternative communities, and it's like uh, it's an in-depth breakdown on the way race and polyamory intersect, and with a lot of people's personal anti- anecdotes added to it to sort of add weight to it. And then um, for hire operator, which is basically queer polyamorous POC-centered superhero stories. Um, That's so dope. Operator. Operator is the first book in the in the For Hire series, and we're working on the next one. Uh, we're hoping to get it out before the summer, but um, realistically, if if all goes well, which nothing ever does, we'll have t- <laughs> we'll have two more For Hire books out this year. Oh so, shit! Yeah, yeah, we're we're working on them, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. I love I love that we're doing fiction that while it does have to do with queer characters, polyamorous characters, POC characters, you know, fat characters, people with disabilities, trans characters, that's not the focus of this. Mm-hmm. It's just like good stories with superhero shit, sci-fi, and also these are the represented identities. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, y'all go buy these books because they don't exist other places. So if you need it, you do. Uh, just go get it. So, yay. Hey. I'm so glad we had this convo. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And like, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I've been listening since episode one. Yeah. Our first resource is Kevin's book, Love's Not Colorblind. Kevin talks about issues that make monogamous dating daunting for people of color, shaming and exclusion by white partners, being fetishized, having realities of everyday racism ignored that occur in polyamorous relationships as well. And trying not to see race only makes it worse. To make polyamorous communities inclusive, we must all acknowledge our part in perpetuating racism and listen to people of color. Next up, we have polyrolemodels.tumblr.com. So Poly Role Models is also created by Kevin, and it spotlights the perfectly flawed, wonderfully unique people and relationships that make up polyamory. Poly Role Models was updated every Wednesday. Currently, it's not being updated, but you can go and check out all the lovely stories. And last, we have the website called GetSmartBeforeYouGetSexy.com. That's G-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-B, four like the number, U the letter, G-E-T-S-E-X-Y.com. So Get Smart Before You Get Sexy is an organization aiming to empower Black youth to be educated about reproductive health and the impact of rape culture and more. While they facilitate workshops in Los Angeles, communities in real life throughout the parent organization, Black Women for Wellness. 
And a resource I'm going to talk about every episode is our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform that connects you with a personal online therapist. They have hundreds of licensed therapists you can connect with within 24 hours. Cognitive therapy has been proven to be the leading, most effective treatment for PTSD, anxiety, and childhood trauma. I always, of course, recommend first seeking an in-person therapist, especially in crisis situations. But online therapy is also a fantastic option, especially if you live in an area where you don't have access to a therapist with the Black experience, the queer experience, or they're just downright too pricey. With BetterHelp, you can filter to find exactly what kind of therapist you'd like. And if it doesn't feel right with that person, you can be matched with a brand new counselor within 24 hours. You can video chat, talk on the phone, do in-app messaging, and it's available on desktop or mobile. Go to betterhelp.com backslash queen to find your personal counselor for as low as $35 a week. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com backslash Q-U-E-E-N. Thank you so much for listening. This season has been so special to record. And of course, I have to give a shout out to all the people who made this possible. You can find us all on Instagram. Podcast artwork by Zoe Loves, Z-O-I-E-L-O-V-E-S. Produced by Boy God King, B-O-Y-G-O-D-K-I-N-G. And me, I'm your host, Jiminika. That's J-I-M-A-N-E-K-I-A.